It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Well, the big news heading into the weekend is, of course, Elon Musk. Elon Musk hosting Saturday Night Live. I've really struggled to understand why this is such a big deal, but I just read something that cast a little bit of light on this mystery. I mean, look, Musk, SpaceX, Tesla, controversial guy, uh, sounds off on Twitter, insults people, one of the world's richest people. I think he's the second richest person in the world now. Um, SNL's loving all the controversy, but here's the thing. Saturday Night Live's ratings have plummeted since the campaign. Now that uh, Alec Baldwin and company don't have Donald Trump to kick around anymore, it's gone from 9 million viewers on average back in, let's say, October uh, to 4 million viewers now. That is a decline of more than 50%. I was not terribly good at math, but I can do those numbers. And so uh, one person was quoted as saying, you know, uh, Lauren Michaels has got to do anything to reboot a show and not just appeal to the coastal elites. And so you have Musk, you know, who certainly is maybe seen as a rapacious businessman or, or on the conservative side of things. You know, first of all, any controversy is good for a show. People say, oh, I'll tune in just to hate watch. But secondly, you know, obviously during the Trump years, uh, the people who most hated Donald Trump probably tuned in every week to find, you know, them kicking the crap out of Trump and Kellyanne and, and the whole crew, right? So now they got to do something else. Nine million to four million. You know, if I was Lauren Michaels, I'd be doing anything. I'd be anybody who's a big name. And by the way, other business people have hosted, including in 2015, Donald Trump. Uh, Al Gore has hosted Saturday Night Live. John McCain has hosted Saturday Night Live. It's not always somebody, you know, from the entertainment world. So we'll see if it's entertaining. All right. Stormy Daniels is in the news today, kind of, sort of. Um, you'll recall that Stormy Daniels, a former porn actress, uh, received these hush money payments uh, from the Trump camp. The payments actually made by Michael Cohen to get her to keep quiet about what she claims is a, a, a sexual encounter she had with Donald Trump, you know, years and years ago, which Trump has always denied. But nevertheless, they did not want this to break during the campaign. Remember how crazy it was and Stormy Daniels was on all these news shows and her lawyer was on all these news shows? Well, the FEC, the Federal Election Commission, has now dropped its investigation of this matter. The reason the FEC would be involved is if the money that was paid to Stormy um, was considered to be uh, almost like a campaign expense, then that could violate FEC rules. Well, I don't know. So all this time later, FEC punts. And here's a statement. You know, he may not be on Twitter. He's obviously not going to be on Facebook for the next six months or forever. But Donald Trump putting out more and more of these statements. So here it is. FEC has totally dropped a phony case against me concerning payments to women relative to the 2016 presidential election. It was a case built on lies from Michael Cohen a corrupt and convicted lawyer, a lawyer, in fact, who was so corrupt, he was sentenced to three years in jail for lying to Congress and many other things having nothing to do with me. I thank the commission for their decision, ending this chapter of fake news between two sleazebag lawyers, Michael Avenatti and Michael Cohn, Trump says, we were all able to witness law and justice in our country at its lowest. Well, you know, Michael Cohn was convicted of lying to Congress. Michael Cohen, I guess he's out now for COVID-related reasons. Um, but, you know, 
at one time, he was Donald Trump's fixer. He was Donald Trump's close confidant. He was a guy who called up and yelled at reporters on behalf of Donald Trump. And Michael Avenatti was representing his client, Stormy Daniels. And so this is Trump's payback, this, this uh, posting that is emailed around to reporters and so forth. But there's no denying that Stormy Daniels was paid this money. Um, you know, the, the checks have been traced. Cohen, who, of course, is cooperating with prosecutors now, still being interviewed, uh, probably, I guess, in connection with this uh, potential well, this investigation of Rudy Giuliani, um, has acknowledged that he did this on behalf of his then-boss. So you can say, well, was Cohen lying then? Was Cohen lying now? But there's no question. Stormy Daniels got this money. Now, whether there was anything wrong with her getting this money, whether or not uh, it was a violation of FEC rules is certainly debatable. All right, let's get to our Liz Watch, which has become a daily feature on the buzz meter. You know, every single day, more and more people weighing in on it. A couple of columns I will call to your attention, one by Peggy Noonan in the Wall Street Journal. What Peggy Noonan is saying here is why would Liz Cheney allow herself to be drawn into and to become the public face of the anti-Trump resistance? Why did she take the bait, Noonan writes, of this slowly waning figure, Mr. Trump, and the gravy train operatives around him whom others in Washington call the unemployables? I had not heard that particular piece of pejorative language. Uh, Because, as she wrote in the Washington Post, this is Liz's op-ed piece, which as I told you about yesterday, if the former president is allowed to keep telling his lie unchecked and unresisted, it will only dig in and spread, and the foundations of the republic begin to crack. The pro-Trump side is believed to have the larger ground force, meaning more Republicans are following the former president, while the anti-Trump side has greater air cover in terms of media support. That's true. Sometimes it seems like all the never-Trumpers that exist in America are, you know, are on MSNBC or writing for the op-ed pages. Um, Members of the House Republican Conference should breathe deep, cool down, and think twice. Well, they're not going to think twice. They're going to go ahead and do this. There's no question that she's going to lose her leadership position in favor of Elise Stefanik, a Republican congresswoman from New York who actually has a much more moderate voting record, at least by Republican standards. Uh, More from Noonan. There'll be great cost to the party if it removes the only woman in the House leadership and the only one pushing back against Trump for saying the obvious puts the party on the side of a lie. It'll make the party look stupid and weak as if it can't tolerate dissent, says Peggy Noonan. Republicans like to call for diversity of thought on campuses. What about in the Republican conference? Giving her the boot places Trump at the center of things is a gift to President Biden, taking all the heat off his programs and policies. And the problem for House Republicans, says Peggy Noonan, no matter how pro-Trump they show themselves to be, there will always be someone back home who's Trumpier. Um, Here's a piece in The Atlantic, liberal magazine, of course, about this whole situation that has some noteworthy observations, I think. So the Atlantic starts out by saying this is a ridiculous claim. The Republican Party has not moved on at all. The falsehood that the 2020 election was rigged against Trump has become the justification for voter suppression laws in Republican-controlled states. And we'll talk more about that in mere moments. Majority of Republicans voted against certifying the election even after the Capitol riot. Fully 60% of Republicans, I guess this is according to polls, believe the election was stolen. Cheney's fall will ensure that ambitious Republicans eschew 
the folly. You ever notice how that's a, a, a totally like a newspaper or magazine word? You don't never see ordinary people saying, well, I eschew that. I, I, I can't really. I just have to eschew it. Anyway, they eschew the folly of respecting the outcome of elections that the GOP loses. They will all understand that the only acceptable outcome of political contests is Republican victory and that any system that allows for the possibility of defeat is illegitimate. Okay, but here's where it gets interesting. Even a lifelong conservative Republican like Cheney becomes the enemy if she's willing to uphold essential democratic rights. But this is where it's funny how now um, a number of media outlets are turning on Liz Cheney, even though they say, yeah, yeah, she's doing the right thing, but she's too stubborn, she's too ordinary, this is her fault. And here's the Atlantic's liberal indictment that uh, the party's rejection of the rule of law is an extension of a political logic that Cheney herself cultivated for years. And it decides to kind of revisit all the things it doesn't like because she is, after all, a conservative Republican. During the Obama administration, Cheney was a Fox News regular who insisted the president was secretly sympathetic to jihadists. She enthusiastically defended the use of torture as did her dad, of course, Dick Cheney, dismissed the constitutional right to due process as, as an inconvenience and amplified the Obama-era campaign to portray American Muslims as a national security threat. So, in other words, they just didn't like her politics. Till the insurrection, she was a loyal Trumpist who frequently denounced the Democratic Party. Here's a quote from Liz Cheney, the Wyoming congresswoman, just as recently as 2019 talking about the Dems. They've become the party of anti-Semitism. They've become the party of infanticide. That, of course, is a reference to abortion. They've become the party of socialism. Her critics now, such as Steve Scalise and Matt Gates, gushed over her ability to stick it to the opposition. And then it uh, revives this thing from 2010 when Liz Cheney launched what the Atlantic denigrates as a McCarthyite crusade against seven unnamed attorneys in the Obama Justice Department who had previously represented terrorism suspects held at Gitmo. And the Atlantic says, look, these were lawyers who were representing detainees. They, were, they had the fundamental constitutional right to counsel, and yet they were being vilified. So, you know, this kind of is kind of what had happened to a number of Trump people who turned on Trump, like John Bolton, for example. The people who never liked them because they were too conservative and they used to um, support Trump, uh, don't have anything good to say about them. And then the Republicans who like Trump don't have anything good to say about them because they view them as turncoats. So they sort of become uh, these people, these political figures who are, who are nomads, who don't really have a home base because they've pissed off both sides. All right, let's turn now to Elise Stefanik. You'll be hearing more about her as she takes over the number three position, and this will undoubtedly happen uh, this coming week next week, despite the pleas of various media folks. So, what about this New York congresswoman who Republican leaders have anointed as the replacement? Uh, she was out there yesterday, this is fascinating, talking about the Trump claims, the unproven claims of a stolen election. She, at least Stefanik herself has never come out and said, I think the election was stolen. But she did um, Steve Bannon's radio show or podcast Steve Bannon, of course, the uh, Trump loyalist, one-time campaign chairman who had a falling out with the former president when he left the White House back in 2017. Here's the congresswoman. Stefanik says it is important to stand up for these constitutional issues. And these are questions that are have to, going to have to be answered as we, before we head into the 2022 midterms. 
The comments, these are the first she's made in public since she announced that she is taking on Liz Cheney for that number three spot, reflected how central, according to the New York Times, the former president's election lies have become to the Republican Party message, even as if its leaders say they want to move on. Stefanik effectively campaigned on them, describing Trump on Bannon's show as the strongest supporter of any president when it comes to standing up for the Constitution and saying the Republicans will work as one team. Then she goes on to say she does the podcast of Sebastian Gorka, another you know former Fox News contributor who had a job in the White House. He got left, I guess I would say. I was going to say bounced out of there. The circumstances are not clear. At the end of 2017, and Stefanik goes to Gorka and says, the job of the conference chair. That's actually the title for Liz Cheney's position. Does anyone know what a conference chair actually does? The answer is not very much. Um, but what Stefanik says is the job of the conference chair is to represent the majority of House Republicans and the vast majority of House Republicans support President Trump and they support his focus on election integrity and election security. The job is not to attack members of the conference and attack President Trump. So she's totally all in on uh, we must have election security and so forth. She doesn't quite say that the election was stolen, but of course she's embracing a president who does say that. One of the things that the uh, conference chair does is organize the weekly press conference. Obviously, look, you can absolutely make a case that Liz Cheney is out of step with the Republican conference. But if you make that case, you have to say the Republican conference is absolutely in step with President Trump, who every day now, I don't think he's missed a day, has sent out messages saying he did this great sort of grand conspiracy theory yesterday, fake news, um, big tech, um, radical left Democrats, all supporting the election hoax. In his mind, in his view, the hoax is that the election was legitimate and that Joe Biden is the president. In his mind, the hoax, he said he compared it to impeachment number one hoax, impeachment number two hoax, which of course was exactly about this. He compared it to Russia, Russia, Russia. He compared it to Mueller, Mueller, Mueller. Um, so he is very deftly, I mean, former president was very good at this, you know, gets all of his perceived enemies and opponents, enemy of the American people, remember, into one giant interlocking web whose one thing that they all have in common is they're all trying to get him, push him out of office. And of course, ultimately he was pushed out of office. Why? Because Joe Biden got 81 million votes to his 74 million and won a majority in the Electoral College by the same margin that Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton in 2016. Um, for many Republicans, the calculation to boot Ms. Cheney, a strict conservative in favor of Ms. Stefanik, was a former moderate voting record, but has wholeheartedly embraced Mr. Trump, is more complicated. Again, this is the New York Times news stories. Uh, so certain lawmakers and party operatives requesting anonymity, telling the Times that the optics of purging the only female member of the leadership and a daughter of a conservative dynasty for her resolve to call out Trump's lies is problematic. They're questioning the optics. They're worried the move to House Cheney could spook donors who might chafe at sending money to Republicans so closely associated with the January 6th riot. So it always comes down to money, right? But they were also wrestling with the political downsides of keeping Liz Cheney because she would be forced to answer for her broadsides against the myth of a stolen election. 
Several private, privately lamented her stubbornness and wish she would focus on attacking Democrats. So everybody's dug into their corners. Liz is not backing down. You can see that from the Washington Post op-ed. Donald Trump is backing down. You can see that from these statements that he puts out now, it seems like, every few hours. Uh, Stefanik is doubling down uh, on her support for Trump because she knows that's the only reason she's going to get this job. If, if there wasn't this election controversy and we didn't have the riot on January 6th and at least Stefanik was not embracing Donald Trump, it would go to somebody else. Undoubtedly a woman, but it would go to somebody else. Don't go anywhere. More Buzzmeter coming your way in just a moment. All right. Let me move right along here. So let's get into some of the uh, voting rights controversies because it's becoming a much bigger media story because of some news. Newsflash, Florida has passed a new voting law, which contains plenty of restrictions. Uh, the Republican-led legislature in Texas is pressing ahead with a voting law that critics and Democrats are going nuts over. That one has not yet passed. So there was a lot of criticism of Ron DeSantis because... When he signed the law um, yesterday, he, he did it at a closed event and he wouldn't allow media in. But the signing was carried live on Fox News. So Fox gets its little scoop. But if you're a Florida journalist, you're saying this is outrageous. And indeed, the South Florida Sun Sentinel has an editorial denouncing the governor, who it sounds like they're not big fans of Ron DeSantis, um, acting increasingly, quote, like his role model, the tyrannical Donald Trump, says the paper, who picked petty fights with news outlets and cherry-picked reporters who tossed softball questions. Well, in fairness, Trump also took plenty of questions from the Jim Acostas of the world. It was another revealing glimpse of life under the iron-fisted rule of DeSantis in Florida, a place where the doors are shut tight to anyone who might question his wisdom or challenge his authority. This is the latest sign, says the Sun Sentinel, of DeSantis's authoritarian grip on the state. Like Trump, DeSantis keeps revealing his thin skin and his willful attacks on the press are dangerous in a free society. Well, Ron DeSantis is also a pretty popular governor of Florida, and he is casting himself in the Trump mold. He is a Trump ally, and he's increasingly being talked about as a leading contender for president in 2024. That, of course, a long way away. Now, Arizona, I hadn't really uh, tuned into this uh, until recently, but Arizona in Maricopa County is conducting its own audit. And by the way, this is this is being pushed by Republican lawmakers in that county. Remember, Joe Biden won the whole state by 10,000 votes. So Maricopa County was crucial. But um, Biden Justice Department has now sent a letter saying it's very concerned about what Republicans in that Arizona county are doing because they are doing this in such a way, and the Secretary of State in Arizona is also criticizing this, where they're mingling ballots that they're not they're not um, handling the ballots, which under federal law have to be retained in a lawful manner. They're mingling ballots that are verified, ballots that are unverified. And the senators hired this Florida-based company, Cyber Ninjas, to conduct this audit. So the chief executive of Cyber Ninjas has embraced conspiracy theories about the voting machines were rigged to deliver Arizona to Biden. Been a number of lawsuits in that regard, as you know. Um, and the people who are proponents of Trump's the election was stolen uh, allegations 
have been given broad access to the review where this is going on, all election experts and the press have sometimes had to go to court so they can even see what's going on. And this is the thing that gets me. It's a guy named Anthony Kern. He's a former state rep in Arizona. He was hired to help recount the ballots. Well, Anthony Kern was photographed on the Capitol steps on the day of the insurrection. And he was on the Maricopa ballot as a legislative candidate and as a presidential elector. Uh, so the Secretary of State writing a letter saying the, uh, the stacks of ballots were not properly protected. There was no apparent procedure for preventing the commingling of tallied and untallied ballots. So it's kind of a sideshow. It doesn't affect anything. It's not going to change the result in Arizona, but there's a lot of back and forth on that. Let me turn now uh, to the situation with COVID-19. As I noted yesterday, I mean, the rate, even though, you know, you see the new numbers, about 800 Americans died yesterday and never want to minimize this deadly and dastardly disease. But it is clear now that the infection rates, for now at least, are plummeting. Uh, and at the same time, the vaccination rates are plunging. Uh, as I noted yesterday in the last couple of weeks, uh, the rate of vaccination is now down 27%. You have all of these... Like, it's almost like you can't give it away. You've got to pay people to get it. I mentioned there's governors in a couple of states, Maryland, West Virginia, who are talking about paying 100 bucks to certain groups. Some businesses are now talking about requiring you to get vaccine if you're going to come back to work. Um, they have the right to do that as private companies. And just as they could say, you know, I don't know. It's not like they would require a flu shot. Uh, but there's a great debate. And the government, I think, should not do that. If private companies want to do that and provide incentives, such as time off, such as maybe even financial incentives to go get vaccinated, well, that's their business. And then you got, you know, you can get free donuts if you get vaccinated. You can get free beer if you get vaccinated. In New York, you can get free Yankees tickets or Mets tickets if you get vaccinated at the ballpark. So all that's going on. But you know who's pissed off about that story I mentioned earlier in the week from the New York Times saying the medical consensus now is that we're not going to reach herd immunity. And the major reason we're not going to reach herd immunity is not just about these variants of the virus, but it's because there are these groups, large groups of people, millions and millions and millions of Americans who are choosing not to be vaccinated or are extremely hesitant about being vaccinated. So David Brooks in his New York Times column, you probably will, will get as soon as I start, start reading this, is not very happy. Could today's version of America have been able to win World War II, it hardly seems possible. That victory required national cohesion, voluntary sacrifice for the common good, and trust in institutions and each other. America's response to COVID-19 suggests that we no longer have sufficient quantities of any of those things. Brooks says in 2020, Americans failed to socially distance and test for the coronavirus and suffered among the highest infection and death rates in the developed world. Millions decided that wearing a mask infringed on their individual liberty. This week, my Times colleague uh, reported that experts now believe America will not achieve herd immunity anytime soon. Instead of largely beating this disease, it could linger as a more manageable threat for generations. A major reason is about 30% of the U.S. population is reluctant to get vaccinated. We're not asking you to storm the beaches of Iwo Jima. We're asking you to walk into a damn CVS. Well, you know, when you put it that way, it really stings. It is true. I mean, given the sacrifices the past generations of Americans have made, 
people can't go and, you know, have a needle stuck in their arm, maybe have, you know, lousy side effects for a couple of days to protect themselves and their families and their colleagues and help the country. Now, look, I don't want to be too heavy-handed about this. It's an individual decision. You decide whether or not the, the vaccine is right for you. But it certainly is within the purview of commentators and columnists and journalists and politicians to say, and Joe Biden says this virtually every day, you'd be helping your country. It's a patriotic thing to do to get vaccinated. But, you know, it became political, just like mask wearing became political. And, um, you know, I'm going to have Frank Luntz on Media Buzz on Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern, by the way. Hope you'll watch. It's got a whole lineup of good stuff. He's conducted a focus group in which a lot of people are angry at the media coverage of COVID-19, feeling like it's been hyped, it's too negative, it's too dark, it's too depressing. And I don't think you can untangle that from the reluctance of any, many people to be vaccinated. But here's David Book saying, you know, Uncle Sam wants you to walk into a damn CVS. And one other note on uh, COVID, um, you know, uh, one of my kids said to me, you know, these little uh, index cards you get that are the vaccination cards and somebody writes down, they said, how do, they, how do they know you're not like making it up? So here's a Washington Post story talking about uh, uh, the old corner saloon in California Central Valley. It's a bar where you can get free pool, weekend karaoke, a regular ladies' night. Uh, but now state authorities are alleging that people have gone to this bar uh, for a service that isn't mentioned in the social media accounts to get a fake coronavirus vaccination card. Agents from the California Alcohol Beverage Control have arrested the owner, uh, charging him on three felony crimes, including identity theft, forging government documents, and carrying an unregistered firearm, by the way. Um, but you know what? I'm sure that's not the only case. It's just not that hard to forge this thing. And if it gets to the point where you need a vaccination card in order to uh, get on a plane, return to work, go to a sporting event, people don't want to get the shot, they just get the card. Uh, I, I don't think it was very brilliant not to make the card harder to forge or you need some kind of official stamp. I mean, if it's going to be, in effect, a vaccine identity card, somebody could have come up with a better system. I mean, you know, sometimes the, you get a kind of little strip from the CVS or the supermarket or the county health clinic where you go to get your shot. Um, but sometimes it's just the, the, the person who's the nurse or doctor or even just a, a drugstore staffer on duty writes a name in and a date. That's it. Not very hard uh, to forge that. Okay, I want to just close now talking about uh, oh, a couple of things. Um, the Bill and Melinda Gates divorce, uh, now stuff is starting to be leaked, stuff is starting to come out. So the Daily Beast has a story saying, about how when the couple met with convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein uh, in New York City, this is seven or eight years ago, um, she was appalled, and friends of Melinda Gates are telling uh, the Daily Beast uh, that she warned her husband not to have anything to do with this guy. It's just, you know, it's becoming clear that this is not an applicable divorce. It's been in the works for some months. Uh, Bill Gates transferred $2 billion to Melinda just before they made the announcement. Um, you know, my view is give them some privacy. You know, obviously the, the financial impact on the Gates Foundation and all that is newsworthy and should be talked about. But if each camp is going to start leaking about, well, I told him and he did this and he went, uh, she went away to a private island with her friends and he wasn't invited, which is another story I've seen making the rounds, then this is actually going to become and is in the process of becoming tabloid fodder. And finally, the Dumbass Award of the Week. 
hands down, goes to an Ohio State senator named Andrew Brenner. He was caught participating on a Zoom call. No, it's not quite as bad as you think. It's not that one. Um, while he was driving, on the same day, the Ohio State Legislature was debating a bill to increase penalties for, wait for it, distracted drivers. So the really embarrassing part, he's trying to hide. See, he's in his car, Andrew Bremen, he's in his car, he's on a Zoom call, and he, in the beginning of the call, he admitted he was driving uh, during the meeting, but he denied he was distracted. Uh, I wasn't distracted, he says now. Uh, to the Columbus Dispatch, I was paying attention to the driving and listening to it, meaning the meeting. But while he could be seen in the beginning in a stationary car, later the camera turns off, and when the camera comes back on, he's put up a virtual background of a home office. So he's in the car, he's driving, doesn't want people to know he's driving, so he puts up a virtual home office while the legislature debates a bill undistracted driving. Ding, ding, ding. You win the award. Hey, I hope you have a great weekend coming up. Again, Media Buzz, we've got a lot of good stuff uh, for the program. I always put in a little plug. I'd also invite you to subscribe, however you so choose, to our modest little podcast here. We'll see you back here Monday with more Buzz News. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.